0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney.
1: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Monday night, July 22nd, which is the day after this year's Comic Con ended. Which means that people are still talking about the Marvel Studios presentation where Kevin Feige stood on stage in Hall H and revealed that over the next two years and four months we're going to see five new Marvel Cinematic Universe films and five Marvel Studio produced limited series for Disney Plus that goes live on November 12th of this year. Right off the bat Feige was talking about how some of the stuff that happens on these Marvel Cinematic limited series are definitely going to impact the films. So, we've got some exciting times ahead. But first, there there was a lot of Marvel-related news that came out before Comic-Con. Did you see the news about the Black
0: Panther sequel being delayed? Yes, but I don't know if I'm terribly surprised at that yet. I mean, they still have a lot of blank holes in the schedule that they haven't quite fleshed out entirely. This is true. So it it could end up being one of those untitled films in a place that we didn't quite expect it to be. But I also think that they are still in a fluid mode. They're okay Mm -hmm. with the idea of shuffling around what's on the chessboard a little bit because they're still trying to figure out things. And the one thing I've noticed that's Mm -hmm. very odd lately is even though Feige said there's no Phase 4, all the Mm -hmm. headlines I see is Feige talks about what's ahead in Phase 4. Feige reveals what could be coming up in Phase 5. And it's like, if they don't come up with a new vernacular, they're going to be stuck with phases whether they like it or not. If you actually go
1: to the graphics that were used on stage, they listed the dates on stage and then began plugging in the various names and logos but you know when they started right running down the middle of that graphic was phase four right so you and i both remember where feige was talking about we're through with phases we're wrapping up the infinity saga no more phases and i don't know whether kevin lost the argument or he was just putting us on but, uh, yeah, it does look like we're back to talking about phases.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot of it has to do with the media. They didn't have a replacement title for it. You know, they, mm. we're not going to do phases. We're going to do, even if he called it tidbits, tiddlywinks, mm. something stupid. Doesn't matter. Just give us a replacement title. So mm. then when the media talks about what comes after the end of Endgame, or actually Spider-Man Far From Home, mm. is the end of the phases and the, and the Infinity War saga. So... If they would have at least given us the media something else to call it besides, we're just not going to call it phases anymore and then stop speaking. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, what what do we call it? You know, I mean, we are, we do have a future MCU. What is the next chunk it called? You know, mm-hmm. give us that little tiddlywink name and because they didn't do that now they're like oh crap we're stuck with phases so i, I think they're just so. going to backtrack and just do what the the media is calling it because why fight that wave they've got a thing established half the battle is establishing a pattern oh, sure and then getting the audience used to it. And, and now that they've got a Pavlov's dog bell ring type thing going on, it wouldn't really make all that much sense to change it right now. So I think they're, they're going, you know what? Their phase is fine. They may be shorter phases. They may you know, be broken up in different ways. But for now, they're still phases.
1: Okay, uh, doubling back on Black Panther, what was interesting to me is that Feige came out on July 3rd. And this was in response to evidently a story that BET had run where Killmonger had been penciled in to return for the sequel. And Feige flat out said, look, that's pure rumor. I mean, hell, Ryan Coogler, the director and co-writer of that February 2018 Marvel Cinematic Universe film, had only just begun outlining the Black Panther sequel. And, you know, Kevin hadn't even seen the outline yet. You know, you had talked about the holes in the schedule. After the presentation of Whole age. we know what's going to happen right up through November 2021. And it turns out on February 22nd, 2022, Marvel has a release date that's currently open. And if you look, the original Black Panther was released to theaters on February 16th of 2018 because of being dropped into Black History Month, the studio considers that one of the real factors as to why this film then went on to become a phenomena, and sell $1.3 billion worth of tickets worldwide. So it's kind of a safe bet that it would go back to a February slot But that said, it's worth noting here an old release date doesn't indicate what a sequel will come out. I mean, remember, the original Thor came out in May of 2011, and then... The next three films, Thor Dark World, came out in November of 2013, Thor Ragnarok came out in November of 2017, and just this past weekend we found out that Thor Love and Thunder is coming out on November 5th, 2021. The other one I thought was kind of intriguing, and we'll do a deeper dive on this in the second half of the show, was watching how Doctor Strange was initially released to theaters in November of 2016. The sequel, however, is coming out in May of 2021. That's the Multiverse of Madness. And the interesting thing is that this is supposedly the first of the, where the Marvel shows, the limited series that are being produced for Disney Plus will click right into the movies that evidently, whatever goes on in WandaVision, which is supposed to launch on Disney Plus in spring of 2021, if you've seen that film or or, excuse me that limited series on disney plus the subscription streaming service it's going to make sense when wander shows up in doctor strange in the multiverse of madness but this is something they tried with agents of shield and never really worked never had the impact that they wanted it to in fact there, there was that one episode right after Thor, the Dark World came out where it was like, hey, we found an artifact.
0: Yeah, I think part of that is uh, scheduling reasons, because when you were doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you had a season that could be divided right down the middle and separated by like, you know, four or five months, part one and part two of a particular season, or just the fact that they knew that they were going to be, you know, doing a Thor movie, but they didn't know exactly when it was going to be scheduled or how it was going to line up exactly with the timeline of shield when it did come out. And now if they're doing things where they do an entire season and you have the, where you can just gorge and, you know, binge watch an entire season, because if one division is coming out in the spring of 2021 and then followed immediately after in may is the movie, that means you've only got like a, a handful of weeks or maybe a month or two To consume that entire series and then go see the show or the movie whereas if it were terrestrial television that timeline may be stretched out by another nine months which makes it a a whole lot harder for scheduling so i think that the that's going to be the plus of disney plus and their tv shows they'll have control of when they're going to schedule it and they'll also be able to line that up to coincide with their films a lot more easily because they're not spreading the the watch out over nine months. It's a binge watch here. You've got two months, go, and then go mm-hmm. see the movie.
1: Got it. And, and while we're talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., just this past week, it was acknowledged that Season 7 will be the last for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And look, for you and I, Aaron, this isn't really a surprise The fact that they decided to shoot the two seasons back to back to save money, you know, that was kind of an indication that maybe this was coming to a close. Well, just
0: getting season six and seven was the surprise. So, the to find out that after that it's going to come to a close, and especially with Disney Plus looming on the horizon, you know, if they want to get all of their Marvel stuff under that particular umbrella then they've got to shuffle agents off of TV and and move it over to its streaming service and build something new to play with, some new toys. So, yeah, it's not a surprise. Episode 11, which is entitled From the Ashes,
1: airs uh, this Friday night. And the season finale, The Sign, airs on August 2nd. Pivoting back to the movies for a bit here, when the Russo brothers were at Comic-Con this past week, they were talking about their follow-up project and... They must have really enjoyed working with Tom Holland because they've decided to have him star in their follow-up. But it it really sounds like it's going to be kind of a stretch. I mean, because Holland does such a good job of sort of embodying the world of Peter Parker. And what they're talking about for their next project, their step away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is a project called Cherry, which is about a former army medic who returns from Iraq with extreme undiagnosed PTSD and then falls in. opioid addiction and begins robbing banks and the russo brothers right up front warned folks that this was going to be an r and they want tom holland to play their their army medic during their panel uh, they got asked uh anthony and joe would they ever return to marvel studios to direct another movie and our run at marvel was one of the best creative times we'd love to work with marvel again and maybe that's on secret wars That's a favorite of ours when we were young, and I read it in a whole seat sitting when I was 12. I don't know if you saw any of the stuff that sort of went back and forth this weekend when Endgame finally did blow past Avatar's all-time worldwide box office total.
0: Yeah, James Cameron finally sent his little animated image to congratulate Mm -hmm. the new champion Mm -hmm. and it was uh tony stark and his iron man well you you couldn't see tony's face but it was iron man with his arms outstretched and the little floating they look like uh the seeds from a a dandelion when you blow them in the wind Mm -hmm. uh that was featured in avatar not to be
1: a stickler about this but would feige sit on stage what he had to say because it hadn't actually passed the box out of total, it said sometime this weekend, Endgame will beat Avatar. And chatting with a friend at the studio, and it's like, yeah, maybe that was Monday, possibly Tuesday. But either way, we did it. We finally did it. But they really wanted to be able to announce it at Comic-Con, especially in front of the fans who helped get them there.
0: I would be almost willing to bet if we were to break into Fandango's Secret records there'd be, have to be like maybe twenty thousand tickets that feige personally purchased off his own credit <laughs> card just to get a pass. It's all we need. on advice of counsel i
1: I'm, I'm, that's a rumor. <laughs> I wonder because again the Russo brothers were out talking about end game, and the stuff they didn't get an end game they had this moment they kept in the script for two-thirds of the way through the development process, and I guess they got right up through production when when Feige put his foot down, so to speak, but, but have you heard about what they wanted to do, like two-thirds of the way through the movie to sort of get your attention?
0: Yeah, oh, it would have gotten your attention. I think kids would have freaked out, and I think as much as I would have lost my mind over this particular moment, I think parents would be writing very angry letters to marvel had they actually done it so i think it's a wise decision that feige put his foot down in this instance but I don't even want it as a special feature on like the DVD or Blu-ray or anything. I want it mm. to be one of those hidden Easter eggs that has to be discovered by put, it, you know, pressing a series of random numbers on your remote control to get to the super hidden Easter eggs, like they used to do in the olden days, and find it that way.
1: I might as well tell you what we're talking about.
0: Oh here. yeah, I didn't even let you get that far. I got all excited okay. about it. Go ahead.
1: The Russo brothers explained. We clung to this storyline for so long that in the movie there'd be this moment where Thanos walked out of a portal and dropped Captain America's severed head. Now the idea being that this was an earlier version of Thanos who had somehow gotten the drop on the Avengers and came through to the future to show them that they failed. And you know this was sort of a shock moment. And Joe described we had most of the script working except for the third act because Anthony and I were clinging to this concept. And we wouldn't give up on it. And you know, it, it finally, you know, when the studio was like, no, 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 no. I was like, okay, what if we don't do that? Can we find another way into the third act? And that turned out to be what they have now. And the brothers to this day dismiss the notion that the twist would have been too dark, with Anthony pointing out, look, Thanos is a tough dude
0: they were very capable of showing exactly how tough Thanos was by having all of the Avengers battle him and lose severely throughout most of two movies. When the Hulk took him on in the first five minutes of Infinity War and the Hulk lost, we got the point. Thanos was pretty tough.
1: (laughs) All right, that works, that works. Well, if you want to talk with Anthony and Joe yourself, And, you know, maybe get them to reveal when exactly this was actually supposed to pop up in the film. They're going out on tour in the next week or so. Uh, Marvel Studios and Antti and Joe Russo are teaming up to launch the We Love You 3000 tour. Quoting for the press release here, is supposed to thank the fans who have invested so deeply in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, making it the single most successful franchise in film history. And this tour actually started, obviously, back at, at San Diego Comic-Con. It's going to nine U.S. cities. July 30th, they're going to be in Everett, Washington. In fact, they're going to be at Funko headquarters. This is largely because 3,000 MCU Funko Pop vinyl figures are going to be distributed fans over the course of this tour. August 8th, they're in San Francisco. They're gonna be there at Giant Stadium. They're gonna do a Marvel night when the Giants play the Phillies in, oh, excuse me, Oracle Park, my mistake. Then from there, August 13th, they're gonna be at a Best Buy, well, excuse me, no, they're gonna be at a Best Buy in Miami, but uh, Joe and Anthony are not gonna be there that night. Joe and Anthony are gonna actually be in Chicago at a Best Buy store, and at that very same night in Torrance, California, Best Buy, they're also going to do another I Love You 3000 event. Then the tour continues. Joe and Anthony are going to be at Best Buy in Minneapolis, August 20th. They're going to be in Cleveland at the Best Buy, and then the 23rd to the 25th, they're going to be in Anaheim at the D23 Expo, and their schedule and when they'll be appearing will be announced uh, at that time. If you want a little more information about what's going on in each market, Check out marvel.com backslash we love you 3000. They've got a couple of dates to fill in there. As we mentioned, the the Torrance California Best Buy store appearance and likewise to Miami. Taiko Watiti has, has time available now. No, he doesn't. Well, I mean, he's not making Akira anymore.
0: Uh, he's still got what we do in the shadows. He's got Thor 4 now. I mean, dude's busy.
1: Well, okay. was kind of hoping especially Torrance, if he's out there if he, well again, they announced just last week that he's back on board to direct Thor 4 and we'll get into the specifics about that on the second half of today's show but it was kind of interesting. There had been some stuff sort of bubbling up about the live action version of Akira that he had committed to direct for Warner Brothers and this is a guy who's used to working with Marvel Studios and it's It's not necessarily that money is no object but they work from a very big box of crayons over there and when he presented to warner's what his vision was for the live action akira there were originally some very serious concerns about the budget Mm -hmm. and also there were concerns about casting about whether or not they could get a cast together that would let this film play in a way that was guaranteed to make its money back so maybe it's for the best I mean did you ever get to see the original the 1988 oh, yeah. Japanese animated most mm-hmm. apocalyptic cyberpunk movie or oh yeah it's stunning and I know just this past weekend what Disney did with the Lion King you can do some pretty amazing things with with taking animated films and bringing them into the seemingly live world but
0: Well, Ghost in the Shell is another good example of something that was hand-drawn anime that had a cult following, and then it was translated. I thought very, very well to screen. I recognized all the characters as who they were supposed to be, and Mm -hmm. I thought it was just a beautiful movie to look at, and that world just doesn't exist where we live. You know I mean? That that had to be created some way, somehow. So if they can bring Ghost in, in the Shell to life, you know, whether people liked it or not, I think mm-hmm. they did a good job of making it look visually gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they could totally do it with Akira without any problems. They just have to make sure they stay true to the story, keep the things that made it popular, you know, keep those like the bike. You know, I mean, if if you screw up the bike,
1: <laughs> half yeah. the
0: audience is out, right? There you go. Uh, speaking of animated, though, did you, you see the Amazing
1: Stan announcement where... The idea is to do Stanley only as a kid in the modern world.
0: Yeah, I don't know about the projects coming out with Stan attached to him now that Stan is no longer with us. Because it's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, now he's dead. Now we can do all these stories about him, and he doesn't need to get paid. I mean, I hope that he's still got like his family, you know, and the lawyers have something to where his estate is still getting a cut of whatever they're using his name for. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they they had a battle in the past where Stan, you know, wasn't getting his cut from Marvel. So if they end up doing it again after he's passed, that would be extra, extra bad for Marvel.
1: One of the reasons that this one caught my eye is the writer who's developing it. And it's Scott Peterson, who did an awful lot of work for Disney's Phineas and Ferb, which was this really funny, inventive show with with strong characters, so it's. I'm not necessarily on board with the idea of, of Stan as a kid in the modern world, hmm. but on the other hand, if Scott's involved, I'd like to see where this goes. This other thing that that Marvel, this show called Marvel Storyboards, have you heard about this for, for Disney
0: Plus? Was that where they follow around, I don't remember, as an artist or writer?
1: Well, uh, th- lots of artists and writers like Robert Lopez, the gentleman who wrote, you know, a lot of the score for Frozen and Avenue Q and Book of Mormon, likewise actor Hugh Jackman, Olympic skater and Johnny Weir, and this is this is Joe Quesada, the, the Marvel's chief creative officer, and the idea here is that he's going to explore the origin stories and creative drives of storytellers of all mediums, backgrounds and experiences. It's just intriguing enough, and it's just an interesting enough mix
0: of people. Well, you're one of those pop-the-hood kind of guys, and I know that a lot of your particular listeners are also pop-the-hood kind of people, which is why Mm -hmm. they listen to you and I think that a lot of our audience would actually find that show uh, of interest Mm -hmm. simply because it's a little bit deeper than just a movie bonus feature you know I mean if you want to know how a movie is made and they give you like three minutes of outtakes and a couple of bloopers it's like that really doesn't tell you a whole lot but if you follow around creative people who are working behind the scenes on particular projects that gives you more in-depth knowledge of how something was brought to life and I think that's where the interest lies is the people that want to know my goodness that movie was fascinating i really would like to know every little detail about how they brought each aspect of of it to life from costumes to artwork to score and and all of those little aspects and to follow those various people around i think fits that niche perfectly so i think it'll it'll be really well received well, he's hoping
1: anyway though those that 12 uh, episode non series drops on disney plus uh supposedly going to be there in November when the subscription service goes live. And mind you, if we jump ahead a month, this Dr. Doom getting his own ongoing comic book series at Marvel, going just with the headlines, like, but when they drill down into the story that they're proposing doing for this thing, this is kind of intriguing, you know, the, the notion of a, a Dr. Doom on the run supposedly been blamed for a worldwide catastrophe that he didn't necessarily cause we live in this world now where wicked has been on broadway for what since 15 20 years now and you know how many people are paying top dollar to go to a theater to watch a sympathetic retelling of the story of The Okay Witch of the West from the Wizard of Oz stories.
0: A lot of times, it's not necessarily the hero that draws the interest. Mm -hmm. For example, Spider-Man Far From Home, I did not go see to see Spider-Man. I went to go Mm -hmm. see Mysterio in that movie. That's what sold my ticket right there was Mysterio, not Spider-Man. If you look at Batman in the Keaton days, Mm -hmm. start right off with the Joker. Next, you move on to the Penguin and Catwoman. It's the villains that sold the ticket, not Batman. And that ends up being true of a lot of superhero sequels, is who's the villain that we're going to pair him with? It has to be classic. It has to be whatever. And that's why we're getting a Joker movie, because really, we don't need a Batman movie, because we, we just love the Joker. The Joker is what makes some Batman comics interesting. It's not really always Batman that we love. It's his rogues gallery. That we love. We love the Riddler. We love the Penguin. We love the Joker. We, we love all the enemies because they're so cool. They're so unique. They're so different. But Batman is the link to all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So to have a series launch off where it's just the villain, it makes perfect sense because we always get it from the superhero's perspective. It's good to have a suicide squad every once in a while where you have just a bunch of irredeemable bad guys, (laughs) you know, who cares Mm -hmm. if they die? They're all wicked. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of fun because we love our heroes, sometimes specifically for the villains in their rogues gallery. So to cherry pick a villain, you know, like I'm not I I don't really care so much about Fantastic Four as I do about Galactus and Mm -hmm. Silver Surfer. And Doctor Doom, right? That's why I want a Fantastic Four series started, is so I can have those other things that are attached to them at the hip. Well, again, it's interesting you say that because as Kevin was wrapping up his
1: presentation on in Hall H this past uh, Saturday, one of the thing, you know, he, said, oh, we didn't have time to talk about Black Panther two or Captain Marvel two or Guardians three or, or the Fantastic Four reboot and. But all right, folks, hang in there. As soon as we get back from this commercial break, we'll get started on everything that came out of Hall H. Before we get started here, you did mention Spider-Man Far From Home and how you went to go see uh, that for Mysterio. Well, But evidently, a lot of folks going to go see it uh, for Mysterio, Aaron. Uh, just this past weekend, Spider-Man Far From Home made uh, $22 million dollars domestic. It was number two at the boxes behind The Lion King, which really kind of blotted out the sun. Current box office for the film sits at 319 million domestic, 651 million overseas. So it's $970 million worldwide, which means sometime in the next two weeks, it'll join the billion dollar club, which the first film didn't do. Did you notice that when when Feige was on stage and listing all of these release dates, you know, going forward into 2021, there was no mention of Spider-Man 3, and haven't they already blocked out a July 2021 date for that
0: film? I don't know if they've actually done anything, because Sony has weird plans off on the side that they really, really want to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there are things that Marvel wants to do. I think they're going on a case-by-case basis that Marvel does have creative control over X number of movies. Mm-hmm. But considering that they use Peter in Civil War for, like, you know, red-hot five minutes or mm-hmm. whatever that time was, if that counts as one of the however many movies, they have to be really, really picky about how they use him if they want to plug him into, like, the next... Ensemble movie if it's a new Avengers or whatever the title may be Yeah, they're gonna have to be really really delicate about where they're placing Peter Parker in the in the future So I think right now it's just kind of like hey, we had a success with that. There is absolutely no need to rush into another one We've got plenty of other stuff to throw at you. We've got Disney plus TV shows. We've got movies over here Let's let Marvel and or Disney and Sony figure out the game plan a little bit further down the road before they cement him into place
1: just this past weekend it began to bubble up that holland supposedly only signed a contract for three features so maybe it would be in, in sony's best interest to kick this down the the uh,
0: this can down the road a little bit That or do a serious renegotiation on the fly you there know you i mean if sony's making bank off of it then extend the deal I mean, it would make sense. Now, if Sony decides that they want to be greedy and force a Black and Silver movie, which was Black Cat and Silver Sable, again, two villains of Spider-Man, and do similar to what they did with Venom and do their own offshoot thing and then desperately try to make you believe that it's somehow connected to the MCU is what Sony really wants to do. And I think Marvel is doing everything they can to just be like, ah, we've got other plans. It would be great if you didn't right now. Okay, well,
1: speaking of plans, I mean, they're well past plans. They are shooting. Black Widow. Well, it's so interesting to watch Scarlett Johansson being interviewed over the past couple days because she's clearly relieved she can finally start talking about this movie that she's had to pretend she hasn't been working on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is the May 1st, 2020 release. It's been different for her because she doesn't have her sort of safety cushion of all of the... Actors who've previously been in the Avenger films, you know, she's kind of front and center with this brand new cast of folks and, you know, they're overshooting in Budapest. David Harbour of Stranger Things fame is just evidently tickled to be part of this. He's, he's sort of playing, what is the character's name again? The, the Red Avenger or Red Challenger?
0: He's the Red Guardian. Red Guardian, my mistake. Okay. Yeah. Uh um, Also codenamed Captain Russia.
1: Okay. Well, it's supposedly the, the Soviet sort of equivalent of, of Captain America. But anyway, Scarlett talked about this is the first time she's gotten to sort of play Black Widow Natasha as a, a, a full-fledged woman. And you get to see her in all her glory and all her flaws. And she says the character gets to take some red out of her ledger that she gets to sort of balance the books. So this thing is just humming along. They've only been shooting for 30 days. They have their locked-in May 1st, 2020 release date. And this is the one that sort of plows the road for for what lies ahead. Now, fall of 2020, we get to see our first Marvel Studios-produced limited series. And the first one out of the gate is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. What did you think when they revealed the... Zemo was back as as the villain for this piece.
0: I'm okay with that like mm. Zemo It wasn't a tough guy. He was a smart mm. guy. He's your Lex Luthor, right? Mm. The smart guy who manipulates in the background and I think that sometimes we have too much punchy kicky mm-hmm. in, our, in our MCU where everything comes to fisticuffs. I do like the idea of a mastermind doing manipulation that kind of shakes up the formula a little bit. So it's, you know, it's more of a cat and mouse story that's going to be told, I think, that way. We're talking fall 2020. This means,
1: given that Disney Plus goes live November 12th of this year, we're going to be almost a year Mm -hmm. before we get to see
0: our first Marvel Studios produced limited series? Yeah, it's either that or crap them out. And we don't Mm -hmm. want them to crap them out. We want them to be polished. So Mm -hmm. they're going to take their time developing the story. They've got to make sure it lines up with their movie plans, which is why I think some things are plugged into a schedule a little bit more solidly than other movies are like when you get to Dr. Strange, you know, if that is tied at the hip to WandaVision. Guess what is not going to be moving either WandaVision or Dr. Strange come hell or high water? Nothing will move them. They are absolutely concrete in those dates. Okay. So it's okay that they're going to take their time because we want them to do it right. We want it to look just as great as the MCU looks. We want the special effects to be frequent and beautiful. And we want it all to click together like an elaborate Rube Goldberg machine that it has been for so long. Actually, you're going to love this wood. When
1: Angelina Jolie was on stage uh, as part of the Eternals, uh, part of uh, the Hall H presentation, she actually turned to the crowd and said, We all know what you, the fans, deserve, and we're working. We're going to be working really hard on this. They're trying to deliver the film that the, they believe the fans deserve. That one, we've got a November 6, 2020 release date on it and we finally get to eyeball the full cast. What would you take on that one?
0: Well, I'm thankful for some diversity in it.
1: Mhm.
0: That's a good starting point, and I think that all of the actors bring a a good flavor for their character. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I think that they've got they've got diversity in what the the cast is able to bring skill-wise, and it should be a good time just based on the cast.
1: We've talked previously about how these films get planned years in advance and you talked about the rube goldberg thing and them clicking together but if we we pivot now to Chang chi and the legend of the ten rings the actor who was hired to play the 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 title role and i apologize folks if i'm mispronouncing his name samuel Liu, he was screen tested this past sunday so the sunday before comic-con and he was uncast cast on the tuesday before comic-con so Three days later, he's standing on stage in front of this giant audience and about to be dropped into this giant machine, which is a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. So I'd love to get the chance at some point to talk to this kid. And, you know, because he's a Canadian Chinese actor who this opportunity came out of the blue and he scored it. And did you see about the mandarin in this movie that we're getting the real mandarin
0: yes 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 and i'm very excited and it's another way to uh tie back into a previously explored idea within the mcu because it was referenced in iron man the uh ten rings and then we got uh, it was teased in iron man one and Mm -hmm. then it was further explored with our fake mandarin in iron man three which i loved and some people really hated that it wasn't the real Mandarin, but I thought it was flipping hilarious to find out that it was a fraud. And then mm-hmm. the the a little Marvel one shot that came after that, where it was the Mandarin in jail, and then he gets a message from the real Mandarin about what he's going to get for imitating the real Mandarin. So it's like, okay, so he's still out there. When are we going to get him? So now that we we're, we're actually getting him, it's it's very exciting. I'm happy about that.
1: Very 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 much looking forward to this one just for for lack of a better term,
0: the, the change of palette. You know, just the, the notion that we're going to get our, our, a kung fu superhero. You know what I really kind of hope for, and it, this will never ever happen in a million years, but I, I have this little itty-bitty wish inside of me that hopes for scratches on the film mm-hmm. and a really aged look because it seems like all the kung fu movies I ever remember watching as a kid had a really beat-to-crap quality about them. Like, they just weren't preserved well. Mm -hmm. And I just think that if you lay that that layer of grain over the image and throw a few scratches in every once in a while, and why not even throw in a couple of cigarette burns in the corner for good measure to give it the real change vibe? It's so funny you say this because
1: they did that in Stranger Things. In fact, it was every so often that thing you see from bad videotapes where they sort of had that glitch. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who grew up in the 80s in real time watching stuff, it wasn't just the details in the storytelling and the the costume and the set design. It was the fact that committed to that. Yeah. Okay, uh, dropping back in, again, we talked about WandaVision starting up in spring of 2021. And we've got Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen coming back. They did confirm that it happens after Endgame. There are going to be other MCU characters in this. But the big thing that got a huge response from the audience was Monica Rambeau, played now in the present by Tiana Paris. And I love that the mythology that we got started in Captain Marvel back in February is going forward here.
0: Well, I think that Marvel has, well, first, thousands of characters that many people don't know exist. And they have been very consistent at their ability to fold in new material that, well, us diehard fans just didn't expect. You know, if you think, oh, we're going to do a Marvel universe, you think of the bigs, you think about Spider-Man and Iron Man and Hulk and, you know, anyone that's got a big name. But some of the side characters that come along with Captain Marvel You know, a lot of people aren't as familiar with and they just grow them, you know, in one film and let them show up in another one. And boom, suddenly they're in a superhero costume doing battle right alongside their sister. And it's just awesome. So I think that they've done a really good job of growing out characters that aren't necessarily considered the tentpole characters and giving them moments to shine so that maybe one day they could grow into their own tentpole pole film if fans are given a chance to love and embrace them. Got it.
1: Okay. I have to admit, though, that when I was sitting there, you know, watching this and listening to this,
0: the moment that made me
1: happiest was the announcement of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Because this literally sounded like, once again, the folks at Marvel Studios had been listening in to what you've been saying, Aaron, and and making notes for the film. Because face it, you've been talking about since we've been talking about the Doctor Strange films, about the wonderful Jack Kirby illustrations and and the kind of mind-bending stories that they do, I think at least once or twice you talked about the darker elements that they sometimes touched on mm-hmm. in the Doctor Strange stories and the fact that here's Scott Derrickson, you know, the director of the first film, returning for the sequel, and they're going straight into the gothic and the horror. And he, you know, Scott very proudly from the stage said, "We're going to make the first scary MCU film."
0: And I got to tell you, before you go on with that, the first thing is the title reminds Mm. me exactly of the old Lovecraft Mountains of Madness. (laughs) And I'm very excited about that. Then to have them say that it's going to be like going gothic and horror. Mm. I was super excited about that because one of the other things that I had been hoping for along this ride is that they break out of the superhero formula and start going genre. Mm -hmm. where, as I keep pointing back to Captain America is a World War II film, to have Doctor Strange and have it be more in a straight horror vein and have the multiverse and the astral plane and all of that going on, I think could be just some of the craziest stuff they've ever put to film. And I'm so excited to hopefully see them break the mold into itty-bitty little pieces and create something fresh and new. I'm very excited about this
1: were you aware of the universal i want to say within the past 10 years came within inches of of making lovecrafts the Mountains of Madness with Tom Cruise and Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, and, and yeah. not only that. What was it? James Cameron was supposedly going to produce the thing, and I think ILM was on board to do the effects. And but the, the deal breaker, evidently, was that Guillermo dug in his heels and said, "Look, this has to be an R." Right. And Universal, which was putting up the 170 million dollar budget, was like. I don't think we can make our money back on an R. If you can make this a PG-13, we've got Tom Cruise. We can make this movie. And, no. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, evidently you <laughs> somewhere there's a room filled with production art and... And sculptures of monsters that are much like the people who Lovecraft describes in the story who lose their minds when they see the monsters. Evidently, they were that scary. And
0: yeah, the it, with the title Multiverse of Madness, and since it seems so similar to Mountains of Madness, I am mm-hmm. actually kind of hoping that there is almost a Lovecraftian Cthulhu element tossed in somewhere. Just to make it extra crazy and lore filled, you know, like Thor comes from myth and lore. Mm -hmm. uh, And I would, I don't know if they can use Cthulhu because it's like open domain right now, it's been or you know, been in public domain forever and ever. Mm -hmm. So, anybody can write a Cthulhu story and not have to pay an estate or any royalties or anything like that. So, they could technically do it, I don't know if they would, but with a title like that, it's like, how can you not?
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just going on record here that <laughs> you're reviewing this one. I'll sit at home.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, come on.
1: I, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kind of a horror wimp. Oh, but on the other hand, you know the fact that the Scarlet Witch is in Doctor Strange Two. They, they, Elizabeth Olsen, and and at they from the stage they said the events of in Wandavision will be reflected and tie directly into Doctor Strange Two. So yeah. okay, maybe for that. I will go, but I will also spend a lot of time probably under the seat. So no, I just, mean, if it, yeah.
0: I, I highly doubt that Marvel would make that an R film. So it, I don't think they're going to go super crazy with it because they want kids in the seats, and they're not going to okay. scar yeah. children for life because they want okay. to go see Doctor Strange. I'm I just
1: worrying about myself getting scarred. But okay, I like the way you're thinking about this. We now jump ahead, and this is intriguing to me because the same way they listed spring of 2021, they've, for WandaVision, they mentioned spring of 2021 for Loki. And Feige actually starts off his presentation with, didn't I see Loki die in Infinity Wars? And it's like, you did, but what else did you see in Endgame? And they then showed the scene of, of Loki slipping away with a Tesseract. The series will tell you what happened to Loki after that moment. They stress this from the stage. This is not the Loki from Ragnarok. This is not the Loki that's had his hat handed to him multiple times and sort of is rethinking his place in the universe. This is the Loki from the end of adventures and that there's a lot of psychological evolution that has yet to happen.
0: Yay. That is brilliant. That mm-hmm. is super brilliant. Cause I mean, you can't have him just go back to be in buddy. I mean, it took so long for him mm-hmm. to even accept his relationship with Thor Mm -hmm. and work together you know i mean that was always the struggle is is he going to betray us you know and all that stuff and -hmm. it wasn't until ragnarok the end of it where it was like finally you can rely on this guy to be on your side because we need him now more than ever and Mm -hmm. now to undo all that and throw it away for a very logical story reason and make him back into a prankster who hasn't had all of those experiences to inform his decision making i think is super awesome because now he's back to being a jerk Okay, very true,
1: very true. Okay, we pivot now to summer of 2021, and this is when they launch over at Disney+, Plus, the animated What If series. Oh, yay for that as well. They actually brought Jeffrey Wright on stage. He's going to be
0: playing The Watcher at uh, two? Yeah, so so that's cool. The, the watcher is like this giant-headed dude who mm-hmm. sits upon the moon and mm-hmm. watches over Earth and then kind of well, I don't I don't know if he's currently sitting on the moon cuz he could be anywhere in the galaxy, but the watchers, they just watch over the galaxy and kind of are are historians from the beginning mm-hmm. of time to end of time and they they know what's going to happen and everything in between. So they're kind of like our diary of of what's mm-hmm. happening. The cool thing is they, they put up a list of all the actors returning to... Re- yeah! We already knew about Chris
1: Evans and Hallie Atwell coming back for the Agent Carter What If? She had gotten the super soldier serum, which I thought a brilliant way to sort of launch the project. But yeah, when you look at who's coming
0: back... It's practically cow. absolutely everybody who's ever been in a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I couldn't really pick out anyone who hasn't already been in a movie for the MCU that that wasn't coming back in some way, shape or form. So the fact that everybody's on board to retell one of their stories in a unique and fun way for this version of of Disney Plus's shows and have some fun with it, do something different is always great. And the, the fact that there's so many people coming back just means that they've only got like a hundred stories that they have to tell now to incorporate all of these various actors. So I think we're at least in for three or four seasons just based on the list of the cast. No, uh, can't wait. Can't wait. Okay. Fall of 2021. We get our Hawkeye
1: show, which, you know, you and I talked about at length uh, on a uh, previous podcast. What was kind of nice about what they did at Hall H is they let Jeremy Renner do the Robert Downey Jr. thing. They let him run through the hall and interact with the fans. He seemed to be having a ball doing it, but he's thrilled that they're getting this limited series. Though what was kind of interesting, speaking of Hawkeye, is that here was Scarlett Johansson all over, you know, morning television today, you know, out promoting the Black Widow movie. And the one thing that when they she got tripped up on was, well, we have to ask. I mean, whenever you're in the Avengers movies, you're you're paired with Hawkeye. So will will Jeremy Renner be appearing in the Black Widow movie? And you literally saw her on camera was like, I've been off the leash. I could talk about anything and now I don't know if I can talk about this.
0: And <laughs> she's looking over at her agent at looking for a nod or a shaking of the head can i can i talk about this what's the deal i don't and, know
1: and that's the thing we we got the polite non-answer answers so but i mean if they're gonna uh, be in
0: budapest we know damn well he's gonna be in the movie quit playing this game we know better
1: but on the other hand to jump ahead now to november 5th of 2021 it's time to start talking about thor love and thunder and and everyone loves that chris Hemsworth is back and Thompson Tessa Thompson? Yeah, Tessa Thompson. And she came out, the audience lost their mind because, you know, that means Valkyrie's coming back. But Taiki Wajidi reveals who else is going to be in the movie but Natalie Portman. And not only is Natalie Portman in the movie playing Jane again, but she's also going to be playing
0: Lady Thor. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And they, the audience evidently lost her, their minds, especially when she came on stage wielding the hammer. And... There's always been sort of this undercurrent in regard to Natalie Portman and the Thor films about, you know, the fact that she didn't necessarily come back for three, but, you know, she did appear sort of in Endgame. There's always been this sort of buzz that she wasn't happy with what happened with two and didn't want to come back. And the fact that she's back on board and not only back on board, but back as Lady Thor. I mean, holy cow.
0: I wonder if they're just going to give Jane the power of Thor and will they go on a little adventure together both with the power? will Thor be humanized and she'll be the, the mighty one because it's called Love and Thunder which sounds like an awesome hair metal band from the 80s right <laughs> off the bat right I will a whole lot of 80s rock out of this one from like I don't know Poison or Def Leppard or some garbage like that that I usually can't tolerate anymore uh yeah a really 80s hairband soundtrack sounds perfect for for Love and Thunder but I also think if if Jane's going to be female Thor does Thor lose the power of Thor, his, his worthiness or whatever, and Jane gets it and has to escort him on his adventure while he has been humbled with mere mortalness? I don't know. Um, but it sounds like a hoot either way to have female Thor Jane wielding the hammer and doing some damage. I can't wait to see her. I hope she has a helmet.
1: Well, the art that's been bubbling up online doesn't necessarily reflect what will be done with the movie, but they show a helmet. Sweet. So, this is the point where now they bring out the cast of Black Widow, and now they everybody in the audience gets their Black Widow baseball cap, and then they bring everybody back out on stage to take a photo of them in front of the giant crowd of sixty five hundred people in Hall H, and. Feige's on stage like, oh, wait a minute, we haven't talked about Black Panther 2 or or Guardians 3 or Captain Marvel 2 or, or the, the Fantastic Four reboot. And there's no time left to talk about mutants. And then who walks on its stage but Maricela Ali. Uh, Mahershala, but good try. And he's the one where he's on stage and where everybody's wearing a Black Widow hat. He puts on a Blade hat. And at this point, the audience, which had previously lost its minds, loses their minds again because it's like, oh, my God, they're making a Blade movie. Did you hear the story of how he got the job, though?
0: Yeah, he had sent them. uh, I don't know if he sent Kevin directly, but he sent Marvel an email saying he wanted to play Blade. Mm -hmm. And then I believe Feige had said, I already thought about casting him before we even got that email. So I just basically was like, okay.
1: Well what I love about this story is he did it the day after he won his second Academy Award. Right. I you know, figured, okay, if there's one time where I might get their attention, this would be the day. So he, he sends it that way and pitches himself, and they're immediately on board with this. But
0: see now this is this is almost either gonna be kismet or a missed opportunity, depending on how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Because Jared Leto is currently over at Sony filming a uh, Morbius movie, Morbius the the living vampire, oh, which is the right. nemesis of Spider Man, and Blade ends up becoming a primary nemesis of Morbius, and they all end up crossing over in the Spider Man universe. So if they don't incorporate somehow Blade into Morbius, they've missed on that one, mm-hmm. and then we'll have to wait for a sequel because I'm sure this one will be introduction to Blade and just some random vampires and then maybe if morbius does well for sony and they want to do a sequel then maybe marvel will extend the olive branch to join the two universes that are so far still unofficially you know they're not connected yet okay
1: uh, a little context though it kind of gives you some idea of how kevin feige thinks you know from the chess master point of view evidently he believes that by doing the Multiverse of Madness, the first Marvel Cinematic Universe horror movie, especially with, with an, you know two established characters, Doctor Strange and the Scarlet Witch, that this then plows the road for them to actually go a little bit harder with the Blade movie. His discussion was the effect of, this allows us on the Disney side of fence to sort of dabble in the Deadpool, you know, sort of type of movie to see if... We dare
0: do an R. Well, the original Blade movies were R-rated uh, if they brand it well enough. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that they would. L- Boy, I got to call Feige, man. Feige, mm. if you're listening, just call it Marvel Knights. That is the absolute best thing you can do. And here's why. Jim, let me get you hip to the lingo. Uh, mm. Marvel Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S, like mm. a, a knight of the old, olden day that wears armor, uh, mm. was the adult version. Of Marvel comics that was where there was violence that went to some extremes there was language that was not politically correct for young children sex and drugs were referenced if not visualized in mild fashion it didn't turn into a porn mag or anything like that but Mm -hmm. it was more realistic about what crime consisted of in the world and sex and drugs are a part of that unfortunately so they went darker they went more adult And it was all titled Marvel Knights and you had to be like 18 or older to buy it at the time or whatever, because I don't even know if it was officially had to be 18 or older, but it was suggested that you were Mm -hmm. 18 or older to buy it. So if they at, at least go that route, and it can still be connected to the MCU, but just call it Marvel Knights and then everybody knows that this is an adult flavor of Marvel and you really shouldn't really have to feel forced to take the kids along for this one. Okay. I think that Got would it. be a perfect solution for Marvel. Interesting.
1: One final little note of context here, because people are a little confused given that here was the Hall H presentation and here's Kevin Feige on stage talking about Black Widow, Eternals, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings and Multiverse of Madness and Th- Love and Thunder. Those are, in fact, yes, all theatrically, you know, movies are going to be released theatrical. On the other hand, the other stuff that's being done for Disney Plus, we need to rethink our definition of what a Marvel project is going to be because these are really much these are limited series, Aaron. And in fact, you know, was reminded rather pointedly by somebody at Disney today. It's like, look, these are Marvel doing things like The Mandalorian and The Mandalorian, the the Star Wars series that that Lucasfilm is doing. The first season of that is eight episodes long and has a reported budget of $100 million. So all of these shows are created to be open-ended and they're going to run anywhere in their first seasons from six to eight episodes. Right. Some of them will be just one-shots. You know, they'll, they'll tell their story and be done. Right. But a number of them are being created to... You know, if the, if there is interest, they, you know, for example, you know, the folks working on Loki are like, they came up with like 20 different episodes of Moment in Time that they wanted to drop him into. So they don't have just season one mapped out. They have ideas, you know, going into season three. But again, that's on the condition that Tom Hiddleston wants to come back and do that many or for that matter that these are successful enough that you know Disney and and Marvel Studios are willing to put up the money so
0: yeah well the first thing that they're we're going to find out is they're they're going to commit to a bunch of money to get it created they believe Mm -hmm. in their their product so they're going to create it Mm -hmm. then people are going to subscribe to Disney Plus and they're going to count how many of the subscribers you know what percentage actually watch this show When I get Disney Plus, they will find Mm -hmm. out about Aaron Adams that he watches everything Marvel. Mm -hmm. And they're going to say, okay, this guy likes Marvel. We know that we can keep making Marvel product. If there's enough people like me that are showing up strictly for Marvel and we binge watch it and watch it again and watch it again, then Disney will get the hint that this is something that we like and we'll make more of it. So it's really going to depend on... If the people consume it and the thing is right now all signs indicating on Disney plus is a lot of people in America have extreme interest in getting Disney plus as soon as it's available just because of the wealth of content and the quality Mm. of content because practically everything under this umbrella is family friendly and. Parents want to be able to plop their kids down in front of a program for a good half hour or hour or whatever and know that nothing offensive is going to come out of the screen so they can get tasks done around the house, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a good thing where you can just kind of plop your kid down in front of it for a while, let them be distracted by the television, get your job done. Uh, It's it's a good thing for for families, and a lot of families are interested in having that Disney content available. As a geek, I want the Star Wars and I want the Marvel. That's all I care about, and I believe that there's enough people like-minded with me that love the sci-fi and the adventure of Star Wars and the MCU that they'll go there strictly for that content. And I'll watch Mandalorian with just as much glee and joy as I watch all of the MCU stuff as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think that they're pointed in the right direction. I think the fans out there are eager for more content, no matter how they give it to us. So I I think that they're going to have a, a success. The only problem is, are they going to be able to keep up? Because once they get the numbers tallied, then they're like, oh, crap. Now I got to write season two and then mm-hmm. we got to film it and then we got to produce it. And oh, geez, that's two years away. And that's a hard snowball to get rolling, right? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know,
1: it, just to stress here, folks, again, get started on november 12th initial monthly charge for this is going to be six dollars 99 though i have to tell you aaron just conversations i had today that's going to double uh, in a month isn't it well i i don't know about that i did you see last week where netflix had to come out and admit that they didn't meet their second quarter projections
0: and the stock took a huge hit yeah i'm not surprised by that at all i mean hmm. I've, I've been off of terrestrial for a while, and so mm-hmm. as a digital consumer, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff on Netflix I've either already seen years ago, or it's already in my library that I own, mm-hmm. or it's very foreign. I mean, the, I've, I've got a huge section of Asian films that are targeted towards an Asian audience, right? Mm-hmm. And as being not Asian and not having a particular interest in, in that cinema right now, I'm not watching it. There's a huge wealth of cartoons and stuff for children. I don't have kids. I don't have any interest in that. So there are like very large sections of content that I have no interest in watching. And what I find is I'll spend like half an hour looking for something on Netflix and not finding anything and then just going back to something else. Mm-hmm. So because they're getting rid of their deal with Marvel, they're not going to have, you know, the Avengers movies or Captain Marvel Uh, in a little bit. They're just losing content that mattered. The Office is going away, which is something I I have watched now probably ten times Mm -hmm. over and over so if they keep losing content and not creating content that is relative to particular audiences and that's the problem when you're catering to the world you have to cater to absolutely flipping everybody and it doesn't work well you have to be focused and narrow and that's the the big big bonus of disney plus is they are laser focused it is family friendly entertainment from the disney side it is star wars it is marvel go Mm -hmm.
1: the financial crisis in 2008 In the retail world, they saw people who bought brand names, you know, whether it was Kellogg's Cereal or Kraft Foods. Because money was tight during that period, they switched over to store brands, whether it was the Walmart brand, the Target brand, or the like, Mm -hmm. and they never came back. And so we now live in a world where there's only a few brands that, that people are loyal to. And you can kind of count them on on one hand you've got like the McDonald's of the world you've got the Disney's Coke Pepsi yeah it's you know it's Starbucks and the like and you know and so the, the thing is with the Giants they look over their shoulder at that they look at you know that all it took was one financial correction and brand loyalty went away and for a Netflix that everybody in the industry decided I mean Universals getting their own, streaming service up and running because again they want to be competitive with Disney and Netflix and to have Netflix stumble just as everybody else is getting ready to launch their streaming service that freaked out a lot of people last week and they're still talking about
0: it I'll tell you who should be very very cautious right now is Apple Apple could lose their butt in a second Mm -hmm. because they are not content creators. They never have been. They -hmm. have no business in this game whatsoever. And I think what they're doing is a tragic mistake. I think that there may actually be some good content to come out of it, but -hmm. they don't have a library like Disney does. Mm -hmm. They have to create everything from scratch or buy it from somebody else. And because they don't have a library behind them they're going to have to because they're you know a money company i don't think they're going to want to pay other people for their content they're going to create their own special thing cuz this is about creating new content you can't find anywhere else and because they're not content creators they don't run a hollywood studio or anything like that they should not be in this game period And I think that is the first company that's going to take the biggest hit when they unveil their new, you know, Mercedes and we find out there's no engine in it. (laughs) It's like a buzz right now. Like all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, Netflix, you know, is worth a bazillion dollars over several years of sending people discs in the mail and Mm -hmm. then going to online. It's like we now grew up with Netflix. As Netflix changed, we changed with it. And Mm -hmm. so they were there holding our hand during this conversion of getting a dvd to getting online they were like the one that helped us make that transition so that they make sense having a universal or a disney create stuff around the streaming service around their content that they've had for decades they can now just repackage it and go look at all the stuff you have you can dive into this pool of content and it's cheaper than buying one single disc from us per month and so, yeah, the, those people make sense. Apple, they are in the wrong pool.
1: Okay. So, so what you're talking about is that's potentially a dead pool in the future, right? Ah, okay. ha, ha, ha. But okay. they don't have okay. All right. the rights Sorry. to it. Sorry, I had to it, bring so. it back to Marvel. Okay. We'll tell you, folks that will do it for a pretty supersized edition of a Marvelous Disney. That's not the only show we have here at Jim Hill Media. We have uh, the Disney dish with Lentesto. We have... Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, we have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zahair. uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show if you can head over to Bandcamp and subscribe that help keep the light on we'll be back with some more fun stories in our next show but till then,
0: you guys take care okay? More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon in the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network